siblings and your mom in an empty chair at the table where dad should be. Some of you have walked into this room with that experience growing up with a bad father who has left you with deep scars that you don't know how to handle and move on from. Normally, a bad dad leads to a bad life. What about good fathers? The other one, good fathers with flaws. This type of father is godly, but dot, 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 inconsistent. He's godly. He loves God, but he might be heavy-handed sometimes, maybe a disciplinarian. He's godly, but man, he showed up, but man, he never quite let out the way I think I needed it. He was godly, but man, he loved everyone, but you knew who his favor was. He was godly, but, man, maybe he just loved his job way too much. Let's use a dinner table test. If you had a good father with flaws, maybe your dinner table looked like you giving updates on your day and getting scolded for not getting an A. Hmm? Anybody here with that? Maybe your dinner table looked like mom leading while dad just kind of smiled and nodded. Yep, 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 yep. Maybe your dinner table looked more like an army drill than a relaxing meal. Maybe your dinner table actually looked really, really great, but you were the issue and you were the one who was just begging for attention, so you actually painted this picture of who your dad was when it was actually your problem. Or maybe your dinner table looked like your sibling getting tons of praise, tons of attention, while you were just kind of sitting back just like every day, like, oh, what do you know? They get the attention and I didn't get it. A good dad with flaws leads to a God-minded child with holes in their boat. It's like you're sailing towards Jesus, but you're constantly taking on water. Two types of fathers. Bad fathers and good fathers, but they got their flaws. None of us have perfect fathers, but we are all affected by our fathers. Amen? You guys feel that? What does that effect look like? Because most of us only see what's on the outside, but it actually goes much deeper than that. We have an outward and an inward problem. So I like to, I like to look at it like this. It's called walls and supports. Every single one of us, because of how we've been fathered in our own sinful nature, we build up a wall, okay? This is what our wall is. A wall is an outward struggle. Sorry, I have the worst handwriting ever. Get over it. Okay, and all, what? thank you. A wall is an outward struggle. Like maybe on the outside, you just genuinely struggle with anger. Maybe you just really struggle with anger. And here, here's what most people do. They go up to you and they see your flaws and they're like, man, you're just like an angry person. Gosh, I'm going to try to push down this wall by telling you, hey, just be happier. Come on, just be happier. That'll solve it, right? Terrible advice, because you want to know what actually happens. You have walls, but what people don't see is that behind these walls are supports that you've put behind them. And your supports are actually inward sin. Supports are inward sin. Draw arrows here. Here's the thing. What your supports probably are for anger is you just genuinely have this deep-rooted desire for approval because guess what? You didn't get it from your dad. So you're angry about it. 
and you're going to treat everybody who doesn't give you that approval with extreme hate and probably a lot of feistiness. Other one is maybe neglect. Neglect. So this is a huge support that I think a lot of people actually struggle with because you weren't actually seen by your dad when you desperately needed him to see you. So you're going to treat everybody you have with anger. I'm going to show you how unbelievably easily interchangeable this is. Your wall might not be anger. You're like, I don't know, that doesn't necessarily hit with me. How about insecurity? Maybe on the outside, you are just horribly insecure. This is mine. This is mine right here. This is my wall that I built up. It's because I desperately want approval from my dad at all times. And because I don't always get it, even though he's a godly father, a good father, but he has his flaws, because I desperately want it, it's my own sin struggle, and I just build this up so I just keep being insecure. Or I feel this neglect, right, from my dad where it's the moments that I want. Not that he's always neglecting me, but it's the moments that I desperately want his attention, and I just get horribly insecure. Maybe it's not these either. Maybe it's not these supports. Let me show you how easy this is. Maybe your supports for your insecurity is actually your fear of abandonment. Because guess what? When dad was needed, he was nowhere to be seen. Or maybe your support is shame. Because guess what? If you feel so unworthy, why would anybody love you in the first place? So I'm just going to build up this wall of insecurity. We all have our outward wall. I could write a million other walls and a million other supports, but the fact is that we all have a wall of struggle that came from our dads. But hear me clearly. Though your earthly father might be responsible for the original effect, you are responsible for the ongoing effect. I'm going to say that again. Though your earthly father might be responsible for the original effect of the wall being built up with the supports that you put up, you are responsible for the ongoing effect. This wall desperately needs to come down. This wall desperately needs to come down. You built that wall thinking that it would protect you, but it's actually stopping you from being fully known and fully healing. Did you know that? This wall needs to come down because you are who you've been fathered to be, but his sin will live on in you if you don't find a way to let God break down your wall. Here's the thing. We need to look. We've talked about earthly fathers. Now I want to see if our heavenly father is better and can break down what we struggle with most because if dad can't do it, I don't know who can. You guys want to talk about God as our heavenly father? You ready for that? Here's the thing. Remember, there is a close tie between trying to see God as your heavenly father when you're wrestling with the trauma and failures of your earthly father, how is God our better father? Can he break down the walls to my heart? Open up your Bibles to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, it's in the Old Testament. It's about halfway through your Bible because here at Salt Ankeny, we, that's what we do. Isaiah 63. This is a book written by an Old Testament prophet named Isaiah, and he is prophesying about a ton of things, like Israel sinning and being taken captive. But he also writes in this chapter and shows us a view into their relationship with God as their father. Okay? Isaiah 63 starts with a view of people talking to God. Check this out. Isaiah 63, verse 1. 
people are talking. They say, who is this coming from Edom in crimson-stained garments from Basra? This one who is splendid in his apparel, striding in his formidable might. And then God speaks up. It is I, proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Why are your clothes red and your garments like one who treads a winepress? Now God talks again, verse 3. I trampled the winepress alone, and no one from the nations was, was with me. I trampled them in my anger and ground them underfoot in my fury. Their blood spattered my garments, and all my clothes were stained, for I planned the day of vengeance, and the year of my redemption came. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I was amazed that no one assisted me. So my arm accomplished victory for me, and my wrath assisted me. I crushed nations in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath and poured out their blood on the ground. Oof. This little section right here, this six-verse section, could be titled, When We Fail God, He Judges Us. Or, When We Fail Our Father, He Disciplines Us. Israel had chased after other gods, ran towards idols, and built walls and supports in their hearts and hands and heads so that they could block out God's work. So God poured out his wrath. We don't like the Old Testament God, do we? We get real uncomfortable with the Old Testament God. Because he feels like, he seems like that angry, wrathful, old father who's randomly flying off the handle at these random moments, doesn't he? That's how he's painted to be at times. Sometimes he feels absent, distant, insensitive, rude. This does not sound like a great example of a father, does it? Is he wrong for this? Let's look at the next verses. Now Israel starts talking. Verse 7 says, I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us. Even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion in the abundance of his faithful love. He said, they are indeed my people, children who will not be disloyal. And he became their savior. Guys, God loves us despite us. God the Father loves us despite us. And let's look at the middle of verse 7. I love this. It says, even the many good things God has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. Guys, God does this to them based off of his faithfulness, not their performance based on his compassion, not their credibility. Because guys, the Israelites' performance and credibility was garbage. But guess what? God pours out his compassion and love, and then he names them. He goes a step further and names them. Look at verse 8. He said, they are indeed my people, and then what's the next word? Children. Children who will not be disloyal, and he became their savior. God calls them his children, and this is intentional. They were wandering, they were distant from him, and he draws them near with a name that implies tenderness and intimacy. Do you want to see further, further evidence? Look at verse 9. In all their suffering, in all of God's children's suffering, he suffered. In all their suffering, he suffered. In all of their suffering, 
He suffered. Let's keep reading. And the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past. Guys, that line, in all of their suffering, he suffered. You know what that means? You know what that says about God? When his children hurt, he hurts. Whenever my little three-year-old daughter, Annabelle, skins her knee or falls down, even if it's her own fault, I hurt as her father. I'm like, oh, Annabelle, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, even if it's her own fault. And this is the exact same way that God sees his children. There is a tenderness to our heavenly father, but there's also a tough side. Look at verse 10. What do you know? Bad news. But they rebelled and grieved his spirit. So he became their enemy and he fought against them. What do you know? We screw it up again and God our father is mad at us again. But look who's at fault. Verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his spirit. They rebelled. God reacted accordingly, justly. We rebel again. He disciplines again. But watch as he draws on his own character to swing to more grace than we ever deserve. Look at verse 11. Then God remembered the days of the past, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among the flock? He made his glorious strength available at the right hand of Moses, divided the water before them to make an eternal name for himself, and led them through the depths like a horse in the wilderness so that they did not stumble. Like a cattle, like cattle that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people this way to make a glorious name for yourself. You guys see that? God the Father comes in and shepherds his lost kids back to safety, even though they were the ones who screwed up. As our Father, God balances both toughness and tenderness perfectly. To be honest, some of you struggle with viewing God way. I think it's the question of when you picture God, when you close your eyes and you're picturing God, do you see a judge or a shepherd? When you picture God, do you see immediately a caricature of a judge or a shepherd? Many of you see God as only having one characteristic because that's who your, God, who your dad was. But look at verse 11 says this, then he remembered the days of his past, the days of Moses and his people. Look at verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he became their enemy and fought against them. Look at verse 13. But he led them through the depths like a horse in the wilderness, so that they do not stumble. Like cattle that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. Guys, You think that God can't be both judge and shepherd because that's not who your earthly father is? You are wrong. God isn't either or. He's both and. He's both judge and shepherd. He's both discipliner and dad. He's both fighter and father. He's a lion and a lover. He's aggressive and affectionate. He's both tough and tender. He's both God almighty and God our Father. God is the only Father who can actually balance all of that perfectly because he's the only perfect Father. Amen? But it gets better. Israel starts praying to God, and look at verse 15. 
Look down from heaven and see from your lofty home, holy and beautiful, where is your zeal and your might, your yearning and your compassion are withheld from me. Then verse 16. Yet you are our father. Even though Abraham does not know us and Israel doesn't recognize us, you, Lord, are our father. Your name is our redeemer from ancient times. I love that line. Yet, God is our father. Yet, God is our father. It's like they're saying that that line, Abraham and Israel don't know us or recognize us. They're saying people who used to love us now reject us. And despite all that, yet you are our father. Yet you are our father. Guys, people love is always conditional love. Almost every time. The love that people give you is conditional love. That's love based on performance. That's not gospel love, amen? That is not gospel love. Gospel love tells us that God's love and affection is a gift, not something that I earn. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it that way. He says, for you are saved by grace. That's an unmerited gift that you did nothing to deserve. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You did nothing to earn it. It is God the Father's gift not from works so that no one can boast. Guys, Jamie Dunlap says this. He says, a father's affection for his children should be rooted not in their lovability, but in his love. His affection is better than conditional. It is contra-conditional. He has placed his affection on us despite the condemnation that we have earned. That's God as our father. Though our thoughts are wavering, God's character is steadfast. That line, yet you are our father. Yet God is my father, despite who I am and the mess that I've become, yet you remain loving me unconditionally. That's who God is as our father. Now, none of us have perfect fathers, but we've all been affected by our fathers. What does that effect look like? We build up walls, assuming that we're protecting ourselves, but we're actually blocking God, our Heavenly Father, from breaking through to our hardened hearts. You guys want to know how to break down these supports so your walls can come crashing down? When you see how much God the Father and God the Son went through so that you could be his child, it changes everything. You have to break down the supports by preaching the gospel to yourself. Let me show you. Your support of approval. Jesus was put on trial by those who didn't approve of his perfect character. He was spit on, slapped, and beaten. Your support of shame. Jesus, the Son of God, was stripped naked and pinned to a cross in front of everyone in Israel. You don't know shame like Jesus knows shame. Your fear of neglect or abandonment. God the Father had to abandon his son on the cross so that Jesus could pay for your sins. Listen to this. God abandoned his son for a short time so that he could have you for eternity. God the Father turned his face away for a short time so that he could look at you. You want to know how God breaks down these supports so your walls come crashing down? The gospel of Jesus Christ and the character of God our Father breaks down your supports like a jackhammer to glass. When you actually preach the gospel to yourself, when you actually look and dwell on the character of God our Father, this 
comes falling down. And what happens is, God, your comforter, your judge, your shepherd, your lion, your discipliner, your father, gently pushes against the wall, and it immediately falls. And what ends up happening is God walks in and is able to guide you, comfort you, and push you to be a greater child of his through his strength. Is God able? Yes. Is he good? Yes. Is he the only father that will ever give us all that we need in the exact moment we need it? Yes. Is it easy for us to see that? No, it's not. Which is why we see our outward wall, we diagnose our supports, and we allow God to break them down by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing the character of God our Father in everyday life. Amen? That's what we do. I actually kind of want to pull, pull a fast one on you guys right now. I'm actually going to invite up my dad right now to the stage. Go ahead and come on up here. This is the great Pastor Pat Nemers coming to the stage. He taught me everything I know. Here, I'll put yours right here, Dad. Here's the thing. I, I, I just need you guys to know my dad deserves a ton of honor on this stage for many reasons. Guys, he had seven kids with my birth mom. She, you can give him applause for that. Good work, Dad. <laughs> um, uh, a couple, like a little over a year after my youngest brother was born, his first wife, so my mom, passed away. Um, then he married my stepmom, who had three kids from her first marriage. Her first husband passed away. So he's had, this is an odd story of having two successful gospel-centered marriages. Almost all of his kids are faithfully following Jesus, and I have never met a more faithful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ with every single person that he meets and in his own private life, and I don't see it ever changing. So ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Pat Nemers, my dad, my dad. <laughs> and and the, reason, the reason we have you here is because, oh yeah, you didn't grab a mic, Dad? Come on, first time on stage. <laughs> the reason we have you here is because you're a godly dad with flaws, and we want to get to know you and for you to show us how we can work through our own issues, and you can actually motivate us to see a better future because of our better father. You ready? Ready. Ready? Let's ready. do it. In what ways do you think your dad reflected God the Father? Well, my dad, who you only got to know for a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, uh, was a, a great dad. He um, wasn't really sure of his salvation mm. until much later in life. But he was a great dad. He, uh, in, in, the, in the sense of being like God, he was just big to me. My dad was just huge. Mm. I don't mean physically huge. He just loomed very large in my life. Mm. And uh, uh, so... Uh, he was, I loved him, but I feared him. I feared my dad. Hmm. Not uh, because I, I knew what, he, he made the lines very clear as to what uh, pleased God, pleased him. He was a religious man, though not a, necessarily a Christian man. Hmm. Uh, he had lots of Christian principles. Uh, but I never, ever, ever, no matter how hard he was on me, did I ever doubt his love. 
Hmm. And to just show you in just one story, quick, one quick story is uh, I was a wrestler. Uh, I know you tried to wrestle for a mm -hmm. while. I and, sucked. Uh, <laughs> I sucked. Okay. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, I don't have too you many. You plan that out. I don't have you too many more jabs out. on yeah. either end. So uh, I was a wrestler. My See older my trouble with insecurity. I'm yeah. like, Dad, please. No, I just Approval. Okay. Approval. <laughs> you didn't wrestle. You meant nothing to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, as so, I sweat. Uh, okay. And uh, so I wrestled, and I went to state in 1976. The I know that's back when dinosaurs were rocking around, yep, but yep. 1976 Super old. in Iowa, that was like the pinnacle of wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, it really was, and uh, and Iowa was ground zero for wrestling in the country. Dan Gable, one of the greatest wrestlers, some would say the greatest of all time, came from Waterloo, Iowa. That's where I was from. Yada, yada. I went to state in 1976 at the weight I wrestled in, and I was defeated uh, in one of, the pre, uh, one of the preliminary rounds. And I knew right then my, 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 my whole wrestling career was over, unless I pursued it in college, which I did. But I, I was so down. I was beaten on the greatest, most glorious stage for high school down there at mm -hmm. the Betts Auditorium then. And I mean, everybody was trying to console me. And I didn't, uh, my coach was trying to console me. Other wrestlers were trying mm -hmm. to console me. I wasn't a crier, but I was, I was undone because I knew I was done. And uh, I didn't want to listen to anybody. I didn't care about my coach. I didn't care what, what mm -hmm. anybody said. I had the, I had the you know, the wrestling gar uh, jacket over my head. I was in the locker room. My head was down. And all of a sudden... I felt a hand on my shoulder. No words were said. I looked down and I recognized the shoes and it was my dad. Hmm. He came into the locker room and hearing all these people trying to comfort me, mm -hmm. and he just put his hand on my shoulder and said nothing. But his hand on my shoulder meant everything to me. I knew that he was there for me to hold me up in that difficult moment. And that was my dad. He loomed very, very big. He was, I did fear him. I feared his, I feared the whip. That's figuratively speaking. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but I loved him yeah. and uh, I never doubted his love for me. It's hmm. almost like seeing God's strength, God's comfort. You saw that through your dad. Did you seek that, like, even as an adult? You just kept running back to your dad or no? Um, uh, not necessarily. I, I also had a close relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. uh, your grandmother was, uh, was very loving. She built me up mm -hmm. when nobody else was. I was a, I was, you've heard Daniel's stories, and mine aren't a whole lot different, to be candid. I don't say that proudly. I was a rascal throughout my high school years, and... I was just a rascal. constantly, <laughs> whatever, what do you want me to call I could use a swear word yeah, if you want. But, that's uh, fine, that's uh, fine. <laughs> but, uh, I, but anyway, uh, so, I, I mean, I just, I, I caused them, uh, un, you, you couldn't count the grief. I counted mm -hmm. my, my parents. Got kicked out of school for skipping school and things like that. My dad, I remember him having to take me, to, take me back to school when I got caught smoking. Mm -hmm. It was very embarrassing for him, but he, he did it. And uh, uh, so, you know, my, my, my dad 
like I, when I, that's what I mean when I say he loomed very, very large. Uh, when I disappointed him, I knew it was, I'd crossed that line. Mm -hmm. And he, he let me know it uh, by, uh, you know, just by his sternness, mm -hmm. but it was not for lack of love. I, it's hard mm -hmm. to describe. Mm -hmm. So I was grateful for my dad. I have, mm -hmm. no, I have, no, I have no complaints. Mm -hmm. so. And I deserved every, you know, smacking I ever every got. Every smack, so. whip, whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. Whip. So it's, it, you're kind of hitting into it, but what do you think your wall was growing up, even though you had a good father with flaws? Maybe it was your own doing that you built up your own wall, or maybe he kind of started to do it for you. What was that? Uh, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't say I had anger issues, but I could be angry. I saw my mm -hmm. dad get angry from time to time. It was mm -hmm. never like an out-of-control, crazy kind of angry or anything. Mm -hmm. He never broke anything. Uh, uh, but... You know, I, I mean, when I just would, I would say this to everybody. We're talking about my relationship, my dad, and then, of course, mm -hmm. to you. And all of you have dads. You all have fathers or did have a father. And um, there's a passage of Scripture. I wish everybody, if you got a Bible, look it up. Go ahead and look it up. Go, up, go to Hebrews chapter 12 and look this reference up, would you? Near the end of your Bible, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, near the end of your Bible, before Revelation. And uh, go all, all the way to chapter 12. And this is just the, just the coolest passage of scripture because there's a, little, there's a little something in here for you and especially for you who are, you're bitter towards your dad. Mm -hmm. You're not happy with your dad for whatever reason. You didn't have a close relationship with your dad or you're somewhere in between like mm -hmm. you talked about tonight, Daniel. Uh, but uh, beginning in verse seven, it says, uh, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? That's a rhetorical question. That means none, right? Mm -hmm. If you were never disciplined growing up, you, you may have had a dad, but he, he wasn't functioning as a, in, a, in, a God, in a godly way as a father. Mm -hmm. uh, verse 8, but if you are without discipline, which all receive then your illegitimate children and not sons furthermore we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live and this is the basis for it look at this is the verse i want to highlight for you verse 10 for they that is your father your earthly fathers me disciplined us for a short time based on what say it Seemed, yeah. What seemed good to them. That's the line you should underline. Hmm. But he, that's God our Father, does it for our benefit so that we can share in holiness. Now, I think we've all got that figured out by now. God is holy. He doesn't do anything unholy. His hmm. discipline is perfect. Can I get an amen? Amen. But amen. You're, as Daniel pointed out, your fathers, even the good ones, have flaws. Mm -hmm. And my dad had flaws. Uh, and, uh, but, but when I see that our, when I, when I remember that my earthly father disciplined me as best he could, if you had an earthly father that had no biblical background, no biblical upbringing, no gospel centeredness, no, no Christianity, and you're bitter toward him, he was probably still doing things as he understood mm -hmm. some tradition handed down to him. The great news about Christianity is you have a book that can correct all of those things mm -hmm. as mothers and fathers. 
to your children that God and God willing uh, gives to you. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my, my dad wasn't perfect, mm -hmm. uh, not even close, but uh, I never, ever doubted his love, even throughout all of his imperfections. Mm -hmm. That's good. So let's, let's move on to, to you being a father now. Okay. So my mom, your first wife, passes away. How did you guide our whole family through that pain? Because no dad wants to just be given that as something to shepherd through, father through. What's the way that you were just like, okay, this is how I'm going to guide my family? Because there's going to be some messed up stuff. Yeah. Well, when you hear somebody say, I played both the role of father and mother, they're that's not true. Nobody does that. Nobody, and if, and if they're schizophrenic all the way to the end, you're either a dad or a mom. Okay. And so, uh, my, my, uh, Daniel's oldest sister was 14 years old going on 23 and, uh, she was very mature. Uh, her mother died and we cuddled on the couch together a day or two after her mom died. And Daniel was really little at the time. He's just like two three, three, you were three. And um, so he was oblivious to a lot of this, but his sister wasn't oblivious and she was just so broken. I remember uh, cuddling with her and saying, I will never make you, I will never make you act like a mother to your six brothers and sisters. And yet that's exactly what she did naturally. She acted like a mom to Daniel and all the others. I couldn't. How did I do it? I did it as best I knew how. It gets back to that scripture. <laughs> mm -hmm. I did best as I knew how. I loved on him, but I couldn't love, love on him like a mom. You know, I spoke truth to you like I always did. And we got through mm -hmm. stuff together. I, I mean, by the grace of God, mm -hmm. you, you get through stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and then um, as God would have it, he knew I was an absolute mess at it. So he brought my mm -hmm. next wife into the place. So praise the <laughs> Lord for that. <laughs> so really grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know how I transitioned from that. That was big. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. I, I think one of, my, one of the questions I want to ask is what's, it's probably along the same vein, but what, what's your biggest regret as a father? Uh, uh, my biggest regret as a father uh, uh, was um, not, you know, I, I really do wish I had given more time to do fun things. Hmm. Uh, if, you, if you had a dad who did lots of fun things with you, you that, you're, such, you're such a winner for that. Such a winner for that. And if you haven't done so, you should get on your phone now while I'm talking and say, thank you, Dad, for doing fun mm -hmm. things with me. And I don't think Daniel would s sit up here and say we didn't do fun things because we did. We always we did a lot of fun things and we did take trips, mm -hmm. but we didn't do them all the time. And I just I'm such a driven man and so, uh, ministry is so big. I, I, I drag Daniel and John with me on evangelistic calls. That, let's have some fun. Let's go win somebody in Jesus. <laughs> <That's right>. they, <laughs> you guys are they, seeing they why I am the way be, that I am. They, right come along and, <laughs> they come along and be this holy fun, terror right? in every house that we're in. But uh, I would say I do, do more fun things with you. And you know, I, I, you have an older brother mm -hmm. and uh, I know he was bitter because I didn't go to all of his soccer games. 
And I would go to some of his games, but I told him like I told all you guys. I, we, had, we had 10 kids, so hey, geez, you know, I couldn't go to everything. And so uh, I said, look, if it's a home game, I'm there. If it's away, it sucks and it's to be soccer, you. Anyway, right? I mean, be. who likes but, soccer? Uh, but he, he, didn't, he, he, he didn't appreciate the fact that I, I, I didn't go to those. And I, I realized I probably could have done better there. So I would, mm -hmm. I would, I would change maybe a little bit of that, Daniel. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so... And as, and far, as far as the, the biggest struggles and changing, this is in parenting as a father. Your father, uh, your father and your mother, if you're from a Christian home, mm -hmm. they, can't, they can't save you. Mm -hmm. They can't change you. And probably the biggest frustration with me, I'm a fixer. I fix things all the time. I don't mean physically i'm a spiritual fixer i preach the gospel i help people i direct them in the right way i exhort them in the right direction but i i couldn't fix him i still can't fix him i praise the lord god could amen amen um, and it really wasn't until i well he ain't fixed yet I, da, da. wow wow uh, well hey would you rather have a broken preacher who loves jesus or somebody who thinks he's got it all together. Because mm -hmm. nobody's got it all together. Mm -hmm. Okay? And, uh, you know, so all jokes aside, uh, I can't, I can't, I, I cherish the relationship I have with Daniel and John. Really, what, you know, I know that you have a question. We're probably running down. The clock is running down here. But I, you, you had, you, we had talked earlier. They're used to, like, hour-long sermons. So we, we got no, no, 45 minutes. You, 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 there's a question you had here. <laughs> I'm going to ask it for you. What is your biggest, what's the biggest thing? with parenting that you had to lay down at the altar. Yeah. Were you going to ask that question? Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead and ask it. What's the... <laughs> What's the biggest thing in parenting that you had to lay down at the altar, Dad? That is a Dad? great yeah, question. Thank you. I, I thought of it, so, yeah. <laughs> because the answer is you. <laughs> wow. Wow, Bella. <laughs> and your younger brother, John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, their stories are kind of epic now. Mm. But I can tell you guys, as God is my witness, uh, I pastor Sailorville Church, and it was exploding. We were planting churches. Things were happening. People were getting saved. We were baptizing people. And I was, I was dying a thousand deaths every day because of him and his little brother. They were far from God. People would come to me, and they'd say, well, how can we pray for you? How can we pray for, for John and Daniel? And I would say, well, pray that they'd be converted, whatever converted means. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I didn't have my theology down, but they both claimed to be Christians. As it turned out, it was a good prayer request because he really was saved. Daniel was saved. He was just far from the Lord. And John wasn't saved. Mm -hmm. So they both needed to be converted. Mm -hmm. Daniel back to the Lord mm -hmm. and his walk with God. And John just needed to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, won't be, I won't belabor this, but... When John had been arrested for assault, and uh, he's speaking here in a few weeks mm -hmm. on, uh, on one of your mm -hmm. situations there with God, and can you know God? But, you know, John had been arrested. He was out. If he didn't come back that night, he would have been arrested and thrown into adult jail. I'd already gotten the warning. It was more than a shot across the bow. He wasn't answering. He wasn't. And I was in my bed laying there pleading with God to save my son, John. Daniel had not turned to the Lord yet, but he wasn't as much of a troublemaker in that moment. 
And uh, I pleaded with God, and God literally spoke to me, not, in, not verbally, but he spoke, Psalm 63, verse 3, your loving kindness is better than life itself. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And I, that verse came into my mind. And if, is my loving kindness really better than life itself to you? That's the question I heard God ask me that night. And God asked me this, will you love me more than the soul of your son? And that broke me. It broke me. And I cried. I said, God, I, I repent. I have made, I've turned my own son into an idol. Will you please forgive me? Yes, I will worship you. Yes, I will raise up your name. I will serve you no matter what, even if you never save my son. And I had zero proof that he would. And I had a, a peace like I'd been saved. I mean, like the peace of God that passes all understanding came mm -hmm. over me in that moment. I fell asleep. He mm -hmm. never came home that night. And it got worse than it, before it got better. Way worse. But I had something I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. Having laid it on the altar, mm -hmm. God gave me peace. Mm. And a few months later, this guy was brought to his knees. Walked into a house where John and two other friends were. Declared his faith in Jesus. Was never going to come back here and smoke reefer and all that stuff anymore. Walked away. One guy said, that sucks. I can't believe Daniel is doing this. The next guy goes, I think it's cool. He's standing up for what he believes. And John was over there. And he said, he told me later on, Dad, I knew Daniel was the real deal then. And it wasn't long thereafter that God saved him. Both those guys turned their hearts around. That was epic for me. And I think it was partly a result of laying it all on the altar. So, yeah. That's great. I <laughs> praise great the Lord. Yeah. That's great. I, I, think, I think the main thing, probably the last question I'm going to ask is, you know, we, want, we need to take all this and point it to Jesus. We can't just, like, take our issues and not confront it with the gospel. So everybody in this room, myself included, come in here with walls built up, daddy issues that we have, whether it's forced upon us, they're like huge walls that our dads kind of put on us, or we're building them ourselves. How would you encourage all of these college students to work through these daddy issues with a gospel lens? Well, a gospel lens says that you have to forgive your dad. Hmm. The gospel lens says you have to. When I told my wife, that I had committed infidelity back in 1991. I had been a pastor already for several years, and, but, and the infidelity had occurred before I was a Christian eight years earlier, but I never told my, your, mm -hmm. your mother about that. And when I did, it, 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 it would begin the darkest night of my life. My wife, it, I might as well have committed that adulterous act the night before. Mm -hmm. And it was horrible, horrible. Mm -hmm. But the next day, God, in his kindness, drew your mom to Ephesians 4.32, which says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving. 
forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Right? So you all know the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom will come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. Forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our debts. How are we to have our sins, our trespasses, our debts forgiven? As we forgive those who trespass against us. Mm -hmm. Spurgeon called that the awful prayer request. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. When you pray that, you're saying, God, forgive me the same way I forgive others. Mm. You have to forgive your fathers. Wow. You have to forgive them. Mm -hmm. That's the gospel lens. And then I would say this. I just thought about this before I came up here. So this is like gold, okay? <laughs> pens, uh, uh, pens. Jeremiah 9, 24, where he says, and really Jeremiah sort of encompasses everything from all time, all aspirations. You know, we're look, some of you are looking for, for knowledge. You're looking for wisdom. You're looking for riches. You want to be the best in all this. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories or boasts or brags boast in this, that you understand and know God. That's what you have to pursue. That's a lifetime of endurance, mm -hmm. a lifetime of learning, understanding and knowing God will keep you from the ditches that this world has to offer and any experience you've ever had as a daughter or a son under the tutelage of your dad. Godly, ungodly, flawed, because we're all flawed. Amen? Amen. So there you go. Thank you, Dad. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for my dad here. Um, being a godly father, but a godly father with flaws. God, I pray that everyone in this room wouldn't look at their earthly parents as if they could be as good as you are, as our father. God, I pray that they would depend on you to do what only you can do. Depend on you to be who only you are, which is altogether lovely, altogether beautiful, altogether wonderful, altogether perfect, altogether wonderful and God I repent for putting pressure on my dad and blaming my dad for my own sin God I pray that people in this room would be actually looking at their lives with a gospel lens understanding that God you've been so good to us despite us God, I pray that many, many people here would actually lay their sins down on the altar and place their faith in their good father, the perfect father, and that's you, because of his son's sacrifice so that we could be your child. I pray that, that happens tonight. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.